All right, well, good morning, everyone. I want to maximize our time with our speaker, so I want to start promptly at 10.05. So um, as you all know, I'm Clark Irvin. Thank you very much for being here on this lovely morning. Like all of you, I am sure, I'm a huge fan of Picasso's, and I take every opportunity I can find to see his work and to learn more about his long and remarkable life. This past spring, as you know, there was a superb exhibit of Picasso's paintings from his famous Blue Period at the Phillips Collection, and I thought it would be fascinating to hear from the curator of that exhibit, hence the invitation to have as our speaker this morning, Dr. Susan Behrens Frank. Thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Frank earned her PhD in art history from the University of Iowa with an award-winning dissertation on the work of Spanish artist Salvador Dali and filmmaker Luis Minuel. During her 25-year career at the Phillips Collection, she has curated and overseen more than 20 exhibitions, exhibitions that have traveled all over the world. She's lectured widely, both here and abroad, including at the famed Musée d'Orsay in Paris. And she is the author of a number of books, including one, fittingly enough, on Picasso's Blue Period, published just last year. And as we were chatting this morning, um, we talked about the fact that her latest exhibit will debut at the Phillips Collection on November 12th, and it will focus on the work of Italian Impressionist painter Giuseppe Denitis. With that, please join me in welcoming Dr. Susan Frank. Thank you, Susan. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for you know having me here today. It's like a real privilege for me. So I'm going to try to be very um, prompt on the time frame that we have, and I just want to um, mention that uh, I hope some of you had a chance to see the Picasso exhibition at the Phillips this spring. And I just bring these two um, photographs in as a reminder that Picasso was 19 years old when he was in Paris uh, for his first exhibition in Paris. And the beginning of the Blue Period is in the second half of 1901. It begins in Paris. And so he was still a young man in the process of trying to find his artistic identity. And you know, the self-portrait you see in the center is one that he painted that summer of 1901 when he was 19, and he certainly looks older than a 19-year-old. And so the three paintings that were the foundational works of our exhibition um, are the Phillips Collection's 1901 Paris picture that you see on the left called The Blue Room, and on the right, and in the center are two paintings from our co-organizing institution, the Art Gallery of Ontario. And they are a, the Crouching Beggar Woman in the center from 1902, Barcelona, and the 1903 Barcelona painting called The Soup. So the Blue Period begins in Paris, and it goes from 1901 through 1904. And it kind of spills into 1905 a little bit. Uh, Picasso moves permanently to Paris in the spring of four. And so the subject matter that you know, he is concerned with is primarily um, 
the world that he understood and lived in in both Paris and Barcelona during those years. So I just want to mention, because the National Gallery has a brand new exhibition on Vermeer that has to do with conservation. And conservation was like the uh, heart and soul of our project on Picasso. And I'm showing you John Delaney and his colleague Kate Dooley here on the right. And they were. Um, responsible for what you see on the Vermeer exhibition that is at the National Gallery now. But they also were essential to our ability to understand more about our painting, The Blue Room at the Phillips. Uh, Kate and um, John scanned our picture four separate times over the years 2012 to 2019. And John has this little portable unit that um, you see right here on the table, that he takes all over the world. And so conservation studies on Blue Room paintings have been happening for more than a decade and continue to happen with new information being discovered and paintings underneath that uh, give a larger understanding of Picasso during this very early period of his career. So we knew there was something under our painting, uh, and it was through um, John's scanning uh, that we discovered a more clear image that it is this portrait that you see on the right. And one of the things that this project allowed us to do was not only to see that painting more clearly, but to understand more about the pigments that were being used, the um, time frame for both paintings because we needed to understand when this portrait was painted underneath. Um, it is a Paris picture, so he painted it sometime in, we learned from our um, technical studies, likely in July, midsummer, 1901. Um, he, the palette is very similar to the work you see on the right. Uh, that was done probably in June 1901. Um, and you see that this is also um, subject matter that is taken from the gentlemen uh, and the women who one found in Montmartre in the entertainment part of that uh, neighborhood of Paris that was well known for its um, nightlife and for the women that would be available to go and spend time with gentlemen. And so um, our, our painting, our portrait underneath, we never figured out who the gentleman is, but he is definitely a kind of uh, stereotype of the bourgeois gentleman uh, who would patronize um, the nightlife of Montmartre. And a lot of simplification of form, and you can see that his jacket, which is dark blue, was outlined. And so these stylistic qualities begin to come in. And so we were also able to match it up with a painting that we do know that this lives at the Israel Museum in um, Jerusalem, uh, this painting on the right, that has the same pose and same kind of simplification. And so that allowed us to go and put a kind of date on the, our painting. And so we know that the Blue Room um, was painted on top of this dry, 
oil painting. There was no mixing of the colors between the two paintings. And so that was an important discovery because scholars had thought that the blue room was something that Picasso had labored over because there was so much impasto work um, throughout the surface. But what we learned from our um, technical studies, you see here on the right, you know, the portrait is underneath, um, and perhaps you can see that the uh, female nude is laid directly over the gentleman's face. And so the fascinating thing that we learned by this is that the blue room, which is painted primarily all in Prussian blue, you know, by the middle of 1901 and certainly into the fall, Picasso's palette was changing from that bright palette of, you know, bright whites and yellows and reds into a more dominant blue palette. And we have a painting that is predominantly Prussian blue, except for, you know, the blue in the seascape which is ultramarine, we learned. And that seascape is Picasso's work hanging um, on the back wall of this small painting. So he painted this quickly, and the one change he made is here in the shape of the zinc tub, where he made it slightly smaller. But otherwise, he, it was like it poured out of him very rapidly. It was something that was in his mind. And because that portrait was dry, we estimate four months for it to dry, which puts the date of our painting more into late October, early November of 1901, which is something that we um, were happy to kind of be able to nail down, because that is also around Picasso's 20th birthday. So it's, it's a summary painting in many ways, an homage to three French artists whom he most admired and whom he felt he could kind of tackle, put himself up in competition with in this painting. So it's Degas that he is um, very much in admiration of, Degas' work, Toulouse-Lautrec's work, Toulouse-Lautrec the poster that you see here is very is absolutely the May Milton poster by Toulouse-Lautrec, who had only just died in September of 1901 at the age of 36 after a very short career of about 15 years. So, you know, a new generation was opening up to go and take over the kind of avant-garde in Paris. And the zinc tub, you know, that you see here, was very specifically associated, that round tub, with women in the brothel. So this painting is really Picasso's personal homage to um, Degas, Rodin, and uh, Toulouse-Lautrec. But he's also aiming it at a public that would understand that this is really a painting designed to attract a male audience you know, and a male buyer, a gentleman buyer. And so it also has the um, suggestion of a, a narrative embedded in it, this young woman bathing privately in her room, you know, the, the sunlight coming onto her body. This is one of only a few paintings of a nude that Picasso did at this moment, all of which were done in 1901. 
And after this painting, he doesn't do the nude again for several years. And he certainly does not do the toilette, you know, the woman at her private uh, bathing rituals, uh, grooming rituals, until um, he moves to Paris. And so this subject matter disappears. Um, but what Picasso was interested in as well in the fall of 1901, and I want to move quickly because I know time is short, is that he spent time at a women's prison called Saint-Lazare in Paris. And Saint-Lazare was a very um, well-known prison and it had become particularly all women after the French Revolution. And women who were petty criminals were taken to Saint-Lazare, but also women who violated the laws of prostitution were um, arrested and taken there. Women who, you see here on the right, picked up at night for um, propositioning men or being available for street prostitution. The French call them the filles publiques, um, you know, essentially street walkers. But these are women who had um, a need for additional money. They might be domestic workers. They might be, you know, selling flowers, you know, on the street. But they needed additional money to support themselves. And prostitution was one of the very few ways they had to supplement, you know, whatever uh, income they might have. Or they were shop girls. Or they could be girls working in um, a nightclub. But you see them all in that uh, illustration on the right, dressed in very contemporary clothing. Um, on the left is a painting of these young women in, uh, being processed, and you see a nun because San Lazar prison was overseen and administrated by a group of nuns. So it is a state institution administered through an arm of the church. And in the center, you see an illustration by Theodore Steinlin um, that shows the women at Saint-Lazare in the costumes, the, um, the uh, costumes, the um, uniforms they were required to weather, wear because they had to wear a little cap, they had to wear a shawl, and they had to wear an apron. And there is also a hospital associated with Saint-Lazare prison because the brothels were legally regulated and um, the uh, women sex workers in the brothels were tested for venereal disease on a regular basis. If they were found to be infected, they were sent to San Lazar prison for treatment. And if and every woman who was picked up and brought in for other reasons was also tested. And if she were infected, she too was treated. And so Picasso, we think, may have needed treatment for a venereal disease. He came to know the doctor who was in charge of the hospital, Dr. Julien, and he got access to San Lazar prison in the late summer of 1901. But his experience there was quite shocking for a 19-year-old young man who had, had freely you know, taken advantage of you know, uh, models when he had been in Paris who would come and make themselves available to him at his studio, um, and had also uh, gone to the brothels in both Barcelona and in Paris. But at Saint-Lazare, he saw women incarcerated who had their infants with them, women who were pregnant, who were having children, babies, at Saint-Lazare, 
who were allowed to keep their toddlers with them as well if they were nursing. So here were these women who were incarcerated, who were um, carrying the burden of this other side of the sexual revolution, if you will, which is that disease and death were something that were the other side of the pleasure part of sex. And so it was quite shocking to Picasso. And what he did was he included, he changed what he was subject matter for him. And he specifically started trying to elevate and give dignity to these women. You see, it's so different than what you see his contemporaries were doing in the way they were portraying the women of Saint Lazare. And Picasso dignifies them, and he also begins to associate them with the um, mother and child theme, where you have this mother and child and infant in the center painting, an early example of the blue period. And on the right, a painting you may have seen at the um, uh, Fogg Museum at Harvard um, in Cambridge. Uh, where he is deliberately provoking you to think of religious imagery and the mother and child. And this painting on the left is a work that he knew from the Prado and one that he um, deliberately emulated in another work from uh, the summer of 1901 by Gerard David. And he gave these women this dignity. So here's a woman incarcerated in a prison cell at Saint Lazare because when you um, did not behave properly, the nuns would stick you into a cell by yourself. And so here is this um, figure turned away from us. This is the thing that happens with these female images that Picasso begins to produce. These women do not engage directly with us. They are looking away, they are turned away, their gaze is, is either you know, eyes closed or looking not at us. And so she is lost in her thoughts. And so it's a way of, of merging the sacred and the profane. Now Picasso in Barcelona, his family lived in an apartment that was right near the church um, for Our Lady of Mercy. And Our Lady of Mercy is the patron saint of Barcelona. And so this image that you see on the left is this Gothic um, sculpture of Our Lady of Mercy that was in that church. And you see, you know, she's very erect, you know, um, face does not have any um, expression on it. And then Picasso was also going to the Louvre and seeing work from other, you know, uh, non-Western countries. And so this Egyptian work from uh, the 18th dynasty that you see here on the right um, is something that he would have seen in this, this large diorite um, sculpture, you know, again, of a woman very um, hieratically posed from uh, a position of dignity and authority. And all of this is kind of put into that image of the um, melancholy woman that you see in the center. And then I just have a photograph of one of the actual um, hallways at San Lazar prison. And so Picasso, the idea of maternity is 1901, 1902, Picasso's subject matter is exclusively women, women with infants, women with small children. 
No men are in those blue period paintings through 1902. So he is focusing on a very specific demographic. And this painting was begun in Paris in um, the late part of 1901 or early 02, and then taken to Barcelona with him and where he finished it. Um, and you see here um, a kind of different image. Again, this is not contemporary dress that you see these women in. They are barefoot. And now he is incorporating the motif of the sea, um, a motif that certainly suits Barcelona, a seaport. And the infant, it's very hard. It seems like this infant may be not alive, um, held close to the chest. But Picasso in the boat seems to suggest death. But this uh, pose of the woman is taken very much from this poster that Picasso knew in Barcelona, which was an advertisement for the treatment of syphilis. And you see this woman in the right. She holds the flower with her left hand as the lure to seduce you. And behind her back with her right hand is the black snake. So it's beware. And so you see our, you know, Picasso has taken it and he's turned it into the red poppy that you see here. And when he gave this painting to a doctor friend in Barcelona, was a doctor who treated him for venereal disease when he returned to Barcelona. And he told the doctor, Picasso never named his paintings in this period at all. All the titles we have were given by dealers after the fact. But Picasso called this painting the flower of evil. And here is um, the painting by Puvis de Chavannes, a French painter who had, um, was prominent in the second half of the 19th century, who had just died in 1898, was much admired by the Barcelona avant-garde artist. And Picasso saw this painting in Paris and took the motif of the boat into this painting. But this idea of marginalized women um, as quasi-religious Marian figures is something you see again in these um, two portraits on the far left and the far right that are uh, part of the women that he painted in Barcelona in 1902. And he's using the exact format that you see of these images of the Madonna that he knew from the Prado. And it is, you know, the women from the chest up, you know, empty backgrounds, but he also, you know, the shawl um, is something that uh, comes from Saint Lazare, but also speaks to the kind of covering that the um, uh, Virgin was depicted in in these paintings. And when he returns to Barcelona, the scale of his work changed. This is a very large painting of this woman crouching, the crouching beggar woman. And um, originally, uh, here, whoops, you see that um, he had her as a beggar with her hand, he had some kind of plate or loaf of bread in it that's very similar to this genre drawing that he did. But he changed it, and we learned about this new information through John Delaney's um, conservation scanning on that painting. But I'm just showing you that what Picasso is showing is what he was seeing in Barcelona. Because these are contemporary photographs that show beggars at one of the churches in Barcelona, and then the children in these Gothic streets, you know, playing and um, 
you know, this is, you know, where they um, lived. And so Picasso is like giving um, dignity and authority to this figure that she would not have otherwise. And he uses the silhouette that he's taken from a painting he knows in a small village south of Barcelona called Sitges of the um, uh, El Greco's Mary Magdalene. And so, again, it's just repeating, you know, how um, the impoverished women of Barcelona were his subject matter and that he made deliberate effort to associate them with images of the Madonna. I think there's no question in the way her head, white headdress corresponds with this Luis de Morales painting that was at the Prado and um, her cloak and how she is totally enclosed upon herself. But there are other women that he was depicting who are not in a kind of religious format. And so I show you two um, major works from 1902 in Barcelona. The two women at a bar on the left that is at the Hiroshima Museum and um, the crouching woman um, by the sea that's at the Staatsgallery in Stuttgart. But these women are, you know, the one on the right, she's closed up and folded on herself and the two women at the bar, they do not even communicate with one another. They are not only um, psychologically isolated from us with their backs turned to us, but they are physically isolated from each other. And so Picasso also was looking at Daumier, who was engaged in social commentary. Um, what you see on the right is a contemporary of Picasso's in Barcelona, Isidre None, who was also looking at the downtrodden in Barcelona. And this particular figure here is one that Picasso adapted into that painting in Stuttgart. But here, the, this um, drawing of the soup by Daumier on the left, you know, the, the idea of nourishment as an important aspect of charity is something that Picasso became very um, invested in exploring. And so the Archive Ontario's 1903 painting, The Soup, is something that Picasso labored over with many, many drawings. Now with both the Crouching Beggar Woman and with our painting, The Blue Room, no preliminary drawings whatsoever. But for the soup, there are many preliminary drawings. This, this concept of extending nourishment to the poor, to children, to a indigent woman, is something that Picasso struggled with. And um, also beneath this painting, we discovered this figure um, of a woman from the back. And it connects to other works that are uh, contemporary with that um, and precede that work of the soup. And I just point out here that this illustration that Picasso did in the fall of 1902 shows this same kind of figure here in the foreground in non-contemporary clothing. And then all these figures from the city of Barcelona, you know, here, this is the fall parade through the city um, celebrating the Virgin of Mercy. And so he's looking at um, a work by, uh, in Paris in the city hall by this French artist, Pierre Pouvy de Chavon, um, that is about civic charity, the importance of the community giving to those who have less. And so he is very interested in this particular 
uh, mural that he knows, and uh, it connects to this drawing that you see here. And so I'll bring it forward. So here is a drawing he did in 1902 of a nursing woman on the street. And in the upper corner, you see a vignette in which there is a gentleman who is extending what appears to be a bowl of bread to this woman. And the shift in gender from a man giving you know, charity to a woman uh, is changed to, for a woman giving charity to a child because of Picasso's um, inspiration that he drew from Puvis de Chavannes. Um, where this figure of um, a woman like the angel of mercy coming in on behalf of the civic community um, to give you know, charity and hope to the poor. And so Picasso has um, turned it into this painting that is this um, woman, ostensibly perhaps the mother of the child, but she is very much a kind of hieratic, you know, formalized figure immobile in this in this ritualistic gift of a steaming bowl of soup to this child who is like reaching out for it. So it is Picasso's um, monument to charity, if you will, um, that speaks to both charity as a civic duty, but also the concept of Christian um, charity that is embedded in you know, um, Christian theology. And so the women make way for families in 1903 as subject matter. Um, I show you here the one from the National Gallery on the left and an early um, uh, painting connected to it. But the families are very isolated from one another in the National Gallery's painting that is called Tragedy. Uh, they don't interact except for the child who reaches up to the man's cloak. And the figure of the man is very much taken from the St. Peter, uh, the penitent St. Peter, a painting that Picasso knew um, from the same uh, place in Sitges um, that was so uh, well known throughout Spain. The Phillips Collection has a version of that painting, um, and that is the one we included in our exhibition. Um, but this is um, the image. Um, you can go to the Cafara today in Sitges and you know, see this installation of those two paintings by El Greco were ones that were very important to Picasso. And then the shift in 1903 to these monumental male figures who um, now become more symbolic of particular um, ideas that are kind of carried in the composition. So on the left is a painting of the Barnes Foundation called The Ascetic, you know, that speaks to you know, um, religious figures who isolate themselves from society. The center one you've probably seen at the Met, it's called The Blind Man's Meal often associated as a, a symbolic reference to Christ and the Eucharist as the blind man reaches out to touch the jug with his right hand and the loaf of bread with his left. And then on the right, at the Art Institute of Chicago is the old guitarist. And so again, you know, um, in the faces of these three figures, especially the um, Art Institute and the Barnes paintings on the uh, left and right. You can see the face of St. Peter is very important to Picasso in these. And he is combining, again, 
um, sacred and profane imagery into um, single kind of iconic um, images. And so this is just, I'm wrapping it up here now because I know time is short. But um, so blue period subjects, they're really, they, 1901, 1904, they speak to um, outcast women. They speak to children. They speak to the emaciated, the disabled, the poor, and the hungry. And I just mentioned here this, this drawing that we had in our exhibition. It's um, a painting underneath another painting. He actually did a large life-size painting of that figure. But one should remember that in um, the Spanish-American War ended you know, from 1898. And so many of the men in Barcelona were conscripted into that war and returned to Barcelona disabled and maimed, and they were on the streets of Barcelona. You know, Picasso's home was um, very near the docks, very near the port in the Gothic part of the city. And so he saw poverty every day that he was in Barcelona. Uh, and so, I'm happy to take questions if you have them. I appreciate your time this morning. Questions? Yes. Good morning. When, obviously, Picasso's books are very poignant. When he went to the prison with, where the women were housed, did he speak? To the women, did he interview the women? Is there a sense of empathy in his paintings that because they're so poignant? You know, you ask an interesting question. I can't actually speak to whether he um, engaged directly with these women to go and have conversations with them. Um, he did have, we do know that he had a very open kind of opportunity to, you know, they gave him a coat to make him look like he was part of the staff. So he could kind of um, go to different parts of the San Lazar prison. It's not clear either whether he actually had access inside the prison or just in the courtyards um, where they were. Um, but he also went to, um, there was a cafe or a series of cafes nearby because um, that the women who were being treated as outpatients at the hospital at San Lazar would go there and he would, um, he did a series of paintings of these women sitting in the cafes, um, all of whom have their arms crossed over their chest in this pose that's kind of, you know, a hugging pose that's very protective of their person. Uh, and they are all downcast looking. Um, at the floor, but not at the artist himself. But these are not portraits. They're, they're very generic. Um, they're universalized, if you will. Yes? You speak of uh, his returning to Barcelona. When he, in this return, how long was he there, and about how old was he? When he returned to Barcelona um, from Paris in 1901, he returned there in January of 1902. He was just did he stay long? He stayed for a year, and then he went back to Paris at the end of two to see if he could go and exhibit some work in Paris. 
unsuccessfully. So he returned to Barcelona again in January of 1903, and he's always living with his parents during this time. He's always living with the folks you know, and who are not well-to-do. But he has friends and buddies, and he has uh, studios that he shares with his friends. So he is always painting, but he is never exhibiting in Barcelona. He exhibited in Barcelona, you know, in early, um, in 1899 and the early part of 1900 and in mid-1901, and that was the end. You know, then Paris was his focus. And he ultimately saw Barcelona as not the place for him to go and create his career, and so in April of four, he moved to Paris when he was, what, 21, 22? So we're still talking a very young man here. Yes. What was the reception like to this work, given the, the subject matter? You know, in 1901, in June, when he had this first exhibition in Paris, which was very much this kind of Toulouse-Lautrec style imagery that celebrated, you know, the um, cafes and the nightclubs in Montmartre, it was successful. You know, he sold a, half of the works in that show. The Blue Period works, no. As much as he tried to go and sell or find even exhibition of the Blue Period works, he was frustrated in this regard. And so, for example, the print that you see on the right, the Frugal Repast, which is a very famous print, he did that in Barcelona, thinking that maybe it could be sold, or well, he did it in Paris, excuse me. He, but he sent the print back to a friend in Barcelona and said, do you think you could sell this? And his friend said, no. <laughs> um, I think you'll have better luck in Paris. <laughs> um, so there was no um, willingness in Barcelona to embrace these blue period pictures. The first people who buy these blue period pictures are um, Gertrude Stein and her brother Leo. They buy them in early 1905. Um, they see, they begin to see Matisse's work and Picasso's work, you know, um, in 1905, and they become very interested and engaged um, in both artists. And so it's really the Steins who open the door to um, collecting blue period works. But you know, um, and then they became popular, you know, uh, in the 1920s, the blue period works found an audience in this country. So Duncan Phillips is um, among the first museum directors to acquire a blue period Picasso, um, following the Art Institute of Chicago's acquisition of the old guitarist in 1926, I think it was, and the Art Gallery, of, um, uh, um, the Albright Knox Art Gallery in Buffalo. Um, was the very first American museum to acquire an early Picasso, and they did um, a uh, Rose Period work that they acquired in 1926. So, you know, there, it took some time to get the traction on the Blue Period works, um, but in, even in the 1930s, um, Gertrude Stein sold the two women at a bar that she had had in her collection to another collector um, for uh, less than $500. Oh, wow. 
So, you know, it took some time. Now, of course, you know, they are, you know, uh, revered and people um, respond to them very directly, but it was not so when they were being painted. So you, we were talking beforehand about religion for, for Picasso. Obviously, he was influenced by it, but could you talk a little bit about your understanding of his own religious upbringing and his own... You know, he was born in Malaga, Spain. He, you know, his, um, his father taught art, and so they, that is how they ended up in Barcelona when Picasso was about 13. And Spain is, you know, Spanish Catholicism is very severe, and it's, you know, the church and the state are linked together. And his mother was a very devout Catholic, and, you know, they're, um, that exposure certainly influenced him in a very cultural way. You know, this was the culture that he grew up in. He painted religiously themed works when he was a young teenager. Um, he studied for a while in Barcelona with a gentleman whose entire oeuvre was about, you know, um, religious themed subjects. So he was very much, you know, able and capable and aware. I cannot tell you that he was a religious person or even a spiritual person. Um, but he was absolutely immersed in that cultural um, religion as something that was everywhere and that all of the people that he knew and interacted with in Barcelona <coughs> understood exactly. Yes? In Barcelona, in the Gothic quarters, Could you just repeat that for those in the back? Of my sure. Mind? You know, the works that you see at the Picasso Museum in Barcelona look different than these classic Blue Period works, especially the portraits, and what triggered this difference. And it's really this change that occurs um, very specifically in mid-1901. And Picasso himself said that the change was um, he was motivated to change because he had a time to be more reflective about his own life. Um, I think the uh, turning 20 was like a landmark, a milestone in his, in his life. And he had a very close friend who had committed suicide earlier that year in 1901 in Paris, Carlos Casagamas. And Casagamas was 20 years old, and he had committed suicide in the cafe down the street from the studio um, where Picasso was also um, moved in in 1901. And so the, the suicide of his friend who was um, emotionally unstable and had been refused his advances by a young model that Picasso knew very well. Pushed Picasso into kind of uh, being more reflective about his own life. You know, he had suffered certain tragedies that many of us don't today, but he had had two friends um, as a teenager who committed suicide, Casagangas being probably the most profound one. And his, his youngest sister had died from diphtheria when she was six. 
So, you know, there are these kind of fam tragedies that affected him very early on in his life. And when I speak about the Kasagama suicide, um, I know what, our time is short, is that um, in the 1960s, when he was um, unpacking works from his studio to relocate from Paris to one of, um, outside of Paris, he was working with um, a young colleague, um, Pierre Dex, who um, is one of the most important connections that we have with Picasso, um, who is still alive. And um, he showed for the very first time three paintings of Casagamas that he had done that summer of 1901 and, and in the fall of 1901, each of which show Casagamas in his coffin and with the wound in his temple. So these were personal works that he had made that summer that you know, were profoundly affected him and that he kept very private to himself until many years later when he was able to kind of um, speak about it in a more kind of open fashion. So it's, these, it's this kind of intersection of, you know, um, I think turning 20, having thinking about these tragedy of his friend's death and then this experience at San Lazar that kind of shifted his thinking to being more um, open to seeing the world, um, not just through these kind of rose-colored glasses of a young man experiencing, you know, kind of um, freedom, you know, for the first time. Everyone, please join me in thanking And I, now that you mentioned the suicide, I think.